Um, before, before we get into today's topic, um, it, we're going to talk about a love for one another today. But um, before we get into that topic, I, I'm, I'm going to... Uh, I'm going to just tell you that I, I, I wrestled a little bit um, with, with this sermon this week as I, I feel like I tell you that every week, but God's word, it, it has a tendency to convict you um, when you're not where you should be. So um, I have to confess that this week as I considered a love for one another, <clears throat> getting joked up already, <clears throat> Woo. Um, as I considered a love for one another, I was pretty convicted as I... As I looked at the standard that Jesus sets. Um, so before I ever get into this, I just want to be honest with my church family, with my brothers and sisters. Um, I have not loved you as I should. Um, and I think if we were all being honest, many of us would say the same thing. Um, I have not loved you as I should. And we're gonna, you'll, you'll see what I mean here in just a few minutes, so maybe I'm getting ahead of myself, but... Um, I owe you all an apology. I apologize for not loving you as God has commanded us to love one another. Um, so the reason I want to start with that today is because I want to tell you what I, I, I spent quite a bit of time um, over the last few days in prayer just asking God to help me to commit myself to loving the church to loving one another as he's commanded us to. So my commitment to you all is to do everything within my power to love you well. Um, and I hope, I hope that as a result of our time together, you will make a similar commitment. I, I sincerely hope that that's something that we can all, as the body of Christ, commit to, to loving one another well. Um, so um, that's... That's my confession to you all today. That's my commitment that I'm going to strive to adhere to. Um, so there it is. I'll just leave it there and I'll explain why we get to this um, even today. And uh, I told Steph last night that I wasn't exactly sure what the tone of this morning would look like. Um, I really didn't know. You know, there are some days where you come in and it just feels like, well, the tone's going to be very upbeat and very cheerful today. There are other days where it's just like, I don't know. There's almost an angry tone. Um, and just so you know, I'm not a naturally angry person. So that one isn't one that I, I love having. And sometimes there's just kind of a very sober or um, some people will say reverent tone. Man, I got something that's really getting me right now. <clears throat> but um, I really don't know how this is going to go today, y'all. So... Um, if you would pray for me. <laughs> um, but a couple months ago, um, actually, as we were walking through the Advent season leading up to Christmas, we talked about, we talked about love, specifically God's love for us. Um, so we talked about that love, and I sang to introduce that. However, I'm not going to do that today because I was recently talking to somebody about, and I, and I, I graciously, I was being as gracious as I could be, and I said, you know what, I would love to sing at your wedding. And they, they not so graciously declined my invitation. And I won't name names, won't name names, but they hurt my feelings. Um, <laughs> cried a little, but no, I, I really, absolutely, uh, that was a joke. But you all don't need to hear me sing any more than you already have, so um, I, I will let that one go. I don't think I need to sing to introduce the topic of love to you all. I don't think it needs that kind of a, that kind of a not-so-grand introduction. Um, because the reason we're here, the reason we come together on Sunday morning, 
The reason we fellowship with one another throughout the week is because of love, right? I mean, if you're not here because of love, I hope that you hear and you see love today. I hope that you do, and I hope that you come to know the love of Jesus because that's why the church gathers. It's because of God's love for us. That's why we're here. So we should know about love. And whenever we talk about love, we're not talking about this little guy. Um, we're not talking about him. Um, that's a different thing. Okay? That's a whole different kind of love. But, now you guys might think that that's a silly little picture. You know, Cupid. Oh, isn't it cute? Um, the reality is, uh, and I, I really believe this, that that little guy has caused some really hurtful, Ill, or hurtful conceptions regarding love. Um, now, we might not be able to say, well, it's all because of Cupid. You might want to blame Hollywood. You might want to blame our culture. Whatever. Don't care. It stems from this little guy. Okay? So this little guy has caused some real misconceptions with the, concept, with the idea of love. Because this isn't love. Like, love isn't something that we fall into, which also, by the way, means it is something that you can fall out of. That's not what love is. Uh, I'm sorry, there, there, is a, there is an emotional aspect that maybe you feel it at times and other times you don't. Sure, that's a real thing. Of course, I recognize that emotional aspect. Um, but I, I believe, like I've said before, love is a choice. We choose to love. We choose who we will love, when we will love, how we will love. We choose to do that. Even, even like if, since I'm confessing already, even this morning, honestly, I, whenever we first started singing those songs, I did not come with an attitude of worship. Huh. Yeah, yeah. And then we started singing that song, Waymaker, and I said, I, I, we will worship you. And I'm thinking, am I really, though? Like, am, am I really choosing to worship today? And I think in the same way, we would be able to say we choose to love. As a matter of fact, I was recently listening to uh, an audiobook. I was reading an audiobook. Um, which was fantastic, by the way. I would recommend this book. It was by a guy named Vodi, Vodi Bauckham. I haven't finished it yet, but it was really good. By, by Vodi Bauckham, it's called Faith Driven Family. And as, as, I was, as I was listening to this book, he talks a lot about that little, that little winged guy um, flying around shooting these arrows at people and the misconceptions that revolve around what love is, how we love um, and it's an excellent book so far, and he talks about all of these dangers, and honestly, I don't have time today to get into all of these, all of these misconceptions, but most of you all know these misconceptions because, well, if you're a Christian, you've experienced the real thing. Like, I hope that you can identify the fraud. Um, so I'm, I'm hoping that that's the case. But excellent book so far. If you, if you would, I would encourage you, read Faith, Faith Driven Family by Vody Bauckham. Um, but... Instead of that kind of love, we're going to talk about something far more substantial today. We're going to talk about the kind of love that, that died on a cross like that, that died for you. That's the kind of love that we're going to talk about today. That's what real love looks like, because we believe here that Jesus paid the ultimate price for us. But see, there was something wild that happened after he died for us. Actually, before he died for us, he started instituting this. But something wild happened. It's something that we wouldn't have come up with on our own. This is something that Jesus instituted. Okay? He says, instead of, instead, as, as he's getting ready to go and die in these people's place, he didn't say, I'm going to do something incredible for you, so bow down and pay all this homage to me and, and love me. That, now, understand, I hope you love Jesus. I want you to love Jesus. And we should worship Jesus. But he did something incredible here. He actually said, love one another. 
love one another. Okay, I hope you love Jesus. I sincerely hope you love Jesus. And I hope you know the love that he has for you. But I found it really interesting. Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, verses 23 and 24. Jesus says this. He says, so if you are offering a gift on the altar, and there you remember your brother or sister has something against you, leave the gift. Leave the gift there in front of the altar. First, go be reconciled. Go be reconciled with your brother or sister. Then come back and offer your gift. Now that sounds simple, right? But listen to this. This is God in the flesh getting ready to give the greatest gift that you could possibly fathom, laying down his life on your behalf. And he says, he says, okay, if you're getting ready to offer me a gift, if you're getting ready to worship God and you realize that you and your brother have a problem, go love your brother. Fix the thing with your brother. Then come back and offer the gift. That's that's wild. Like that's, that's profound. Jesus actually commands us, because of his great love for us, to love one another. And that's exactly what we're going to be emphasizing today. If you know, you guys know where we're at. We're in this, this rooted series where we've been looking at our vision. We've been looking at what we want to become. And part of that means we need to know how to get there. So we've been talking about these different, different, different disciplines that need to be ingrained in who we are so that we can grow into the church we want to be. Uh, we've talked about prayer. We've talked about ministry of the word. And today we're going to talk about, you could call it fellowship, but I'm going to call it love for one another today. Um, we're going to talk about a love for one another. Because without a love for one another, we're not going to be able to uh, proclaim Christ the way the church should proclaim Christ. If we don't love one another, what's the world going to see when they look at us? They're going to see liars. We need a deep, deep ingrained love for one another. So this is our third route that we're going to look at today so that we can be a body of believers who proclaim Christ, empowering all people to become mature followers of Christ by the wisdom of the Scriptures and the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay? So, again... Don't know where my tone's going to take us today, but we'll see what happens. So would you all stand with me? We're going to read God's word together. We're going to read out of John chapter 13, verse 31 to 35. Um, and then we'll jump over to 15 here in just a little bit. So John chapter 13, beginning in verse 31, it says this. When he had left, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and will glorify him at once. Children, I am with you a little while longer. You will look for me, and just as I, and just as I told the Jews, so now I tell you, where I am going, you cannot come. I give you a new command. Love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Thank God for his word. You may be seated. So I want to talk about love for one another. And my goal is to show you four characteristics of love for one another. And I realized just this morning that the way I worded these may have been, may have been a little off. So these slides are going to be up here behind me. That's not that Steve messed it up. That's that I messed it up and I worded it wrong until... Just this morning, I think I've got it straightened out now. So, 
Um, the first characteristic of our love for one another is that it, should be it must be defined by Jesus. It must be defined by Jesus. Okay? Jesus says, I give you a new command. Love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. So he says he's going to give them a new command. How is this a new command? Is this something that's radically different from what they had been previously commanded? And the answer to that question is no. This is not something that is radically new. They had already been told to love one another. They should have already been loving one another. So how is this different? Well, just to show you that this is not a brand new command, if you actually go back to the giving of the law, you go back to the book of Leviticus in chapter 19, verses 17 and 18, it says this, Do not harbor hatred against your brother. Rebuke your neighbor directly, and you will not incur guilt because of him. Do not take revenge or bear a grudge against members of your community, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Leviticus, all the way back, Moses writes the law and he says, love your neighbor. Love one another. Later on in Leviticus chapter 19, this time in verse 34, Moses writes, you will regard the alien who resides with you as the native born among you. You are to, what? You are to love him as yourself. For you were aliens in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. See, the reality is, loving one another is an old command. It's not a brand new command. That was there since the giving of the law. Moses wrote about it in Leviticus. So, at this point, it's more than a thousand years old. So, how is this a new teaching? In what sense is this a new command? What is Jesus referring to here? Well, it helps if we understand what the Greek says. Um, the word here that is translated new in most of our contemporary translations indicates a sort of freshness. It indicates a freshness, not in the sense of being recent or different, but freshened. Like you get a clear view of it. Like the dust has come over, the dirt has come over the top, and we don't have a clear picture of it. So what Jesus says is, I give you this fresh or this clean, this new look at love. That's what Jesus is saying here. So it's new in that sense, but not in the sense of being recent or different. But in order to better understand what Jesus is getting at here, we need to learn what comes right before this. Right? That's why we started at verse 31 instead of just reading 34 and 35. The reason we started at 31 is so that we could build this context in. Jesus just told his disciples, I'm going away. I'm going to be gone for a while. Okay. And he also says, you can't come with me. So these guys are going to be here. And for the last, I don't know, several years, these guys have been marked by the physical presence of their rabbi, of their leader, of their teacher. They have been marked by the physical presence of Jesus with them. And Jesus now says, I'm going away. Like, I'm not going to be here anymore. You can't come with me either. So you're going to be here without your teacher, without your rabbi. So what he's saying is, instead of your mark, the mark of who you follow, being the physical presence of Jesus, the mark is going to be a love for one another. I'm going to give you a new characteristic that's going to define who you are. That's what he's telling them. He's saying, okay, I'm going to go away. You can't come with me. This is why you need this new command. See, this love for one another should have already been present in their lives. It was commanded back in the law. This love should have already been there. But he's saying that we're going to take this to the next step. You will be known by this mark of a radical love for one another. So what does this radical form of love look like? Well, Jesus says, love one another just as I have loved you. Just as I have loved you. 
So it begs the question, how has Jesus loved them? Well, we'll come back to that in just a minute because, well, I want to save that for a later point. Ha! Take that. But Jesus says here that he is redefining what it means to follow him and to love one another. But again, let's set the stage. How has Jesus loved them? Okay? At this point, right now, here, at this text, how has Jesus loved them? Well, Jesus really did something that was pretty extreme, and maybe we don't completely grasp this because of our culture, um, and, and understanding the culture in which they lived, the world in which they lived. But Jesus did something that was mind-blowing in John chapter 13. Earlier, very beginning parts of John chapter 13, if you look back at verses 4 and 5 of John 13, it says, So he got up from supper, laid aside his outer clothing, took a towel, tied it around himself, Next, he poured water into a basin and he began to wash his disciples' feet and to dry them with a towel tied around himself. That is a radical concept of service. Jesus says, just as I loved you, love one another. And what Jesus demonstrated for them, the way he demonstrated his love for them at this point. Now, we know the cross. We're going to get to that in a minute. But at this point... Jesus showed his radical commitment and his radical love for them by saying, you know what? I'm going to get down on my hands and knees and I'm going to wash your stinking feet. Y'all, I don't like feet. Feet are gross. Yeah, I don't care if you have the prettiest feet in the room, your feet are disgusting. There, I've insulted everyone in the room. But it's true. And it gets worse because I told you, if you understand this culture, this is a really big deal because really, shouldn't it have been the, the followers washing the teacher's feet? Like, isn't this backwards? This is, this is strange. Like the teacher says, no, no, I'm going to serve you. I'm going to love you. And get this, okay? First century, first century Jerusalem. You know how disgusting these feet would have been? You realize that they drive cattle, they drive livestock, goats, sheep, up and down these same streets that these disciples would be walking up and down. And you know where those animals like to take care of their business? Wherever they're at. Which means these disciples who are wearing these nice pretty sandals, they're not closed-toed, walking around. You know what they have all over their feet? Yeah, you, you get the picture. And Jesus says, I'm going to love you by getting down on my knees and washing your disgusting feet. And now he's telling them, love one another just as I have loved you. He says, love one another, serve one another, give yourself for one another. Essentially, what Jesus is teaching here is that to follow him, the mark of following him would be a radical and a mutual service toward one another. And the service, he says, is often going to be costly. It's going to cost you an awful lot. Maybe the biggest thing it's going to cost you is your pride. And Jesus shows it. The service will oftentimes require the sharing of lives, gifts, resources, needs. He tells them you would need to get down on your knees and wash one another's smelly feet. And that's why fellowship, this love for one another, must be, must be one of the foundational disciplines that we have if we want to become this kind of church, if we want to be committed to proclaiming Christ. Because how did Jesus love us? He got down on his hands and feet and he served his disciples. Shouldn't we love one another the way that Jesus loved us? says, love one another as I've loved you. So Jesus defined, defined what it means to love one another. He defined it. Okay? So that's what our, love for no, what our love for one another must be. Defined by Jesus. Second, it must be distinguishable from the world. Distinguishable from the world. 
verse 35 of John 13, it says, By this everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Again, Jesus says that this is the distinguishing mark of being a follower of his, like his followers. The world should look at the church, should look at Jesus' followers, and be confused. Like, just be absolutely mind-blown by the kind of love we have for one another. It should be radically different from anything else that the world knows. But I, I had to ask myself, does this describe me? Does this describe our church? And now, before you're really critical of the church, I do, I want you to look inward at yourself. Does this describe who you are? Are you committed to this kind of a, of a radical love for one another? The kind that the world looks at and says, man, why do you give so much of your time to, that, to, to those people? Like, why do you give so much of your, your energy to serving other believers? Like, why? Do you think people who have never been a part of Christian Fellowship Church look at us and say, boy, you guys really love each other? Not like, oh, yeah, you like to get together and talk, because we all like to get together and talk. You know, this is a place where man, there's so many talkers in this room that if we took time, we could be here all day just talking to each other. It's fantastic. I'm, I'm just as bad as anybody, so that's not me being critical. Like, I'll stand around and talk all day. It drives my wife nuts. But that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a real, genuine love for one another. But see, here's, here's the thing. There's an important distinction that I think is made right here. And uh, let me say this. I, I think that the first time I heard this kind of teaching, I was a little bit baffled. Okay? Because I think it's important to love everyone. We should love all people. All people. The Bible is very clear. Okay? Um, Jesus loves all people. But he doesn't say here, he doesn't say by, by a, a love in general, people will know that you're a Christian. That's not, that's not what he says. He doesn't say just a love for all people. That's, that's not what he says either. He says they'll know that you are Christians based off of your love for one another. He's talking about a love for the church. Now, I believe that we should love all people. We should love those outside of the church, okay? The Bible's very clear. First of all, all people are created in the image of God and therefore endowed with certain honor and dignity, and we should respect them for that reason alone, okay? So all people are created in that image. Second, the Bible says that, you know, you're supposed to love your neighbor as yourself, so certainly you should love all people um, all over the place. And whenever Jesus talks about who your neighbor is, he uses this illustration of the Good Samaritan, and he says the Samaritan who isn't a part of your community, he's your neighbor, so, we learn that it means that we should love people, even people who don't think like we do, who don't believe like we do. We should love all people and want them to come to know Christ. Further, the Bible expresses very clearly that God doesn't want any to perish in 2 Peter 3, 9. Um, and for this reason, we need to love our neighbors as ourselves, which comes straight out of John's book. Okay? However, however, I am convicted that there is supposed to be a a different, a greater, if you will, I don't know if greater is the right word, but a different kind of love for the church. And I, I, like, I, like I said, first time I ever heard this or thought about this, I was kind of baffled. Like, yeah, love all people, absolutely. But you're going to know that a person is a Christian based off their love for one another is what Jesus tells them. That's how people will know that you belong to the community because you love one another. Then the world will know that you're my disciples. A love for one another is the distinguishing mark of the church. Charles Spurgeon is a much better preacher, was a much better preacher than I am, so I'm going to steal his words because he said it much better than I could. He said, we are to love our neighbor as ourselves, but we are to love our fellow Christians as Christ loved us, and that is far more than we love ourselves. 
Y'all catch that? That's so good, I'm going to read that again because that's brilliant. We are to love our neighbor as ourselves, but we are to love our fellow Christians as Christ loved us, and that is far more than we love ourselves. You're supposed to love everybody just like you love yourself, but Christ loved you more than you love yourself. More than you love yourself. That's how we're to love one another. 1 John 4 lays out this this beautiful picture of how we're to love one another as Christians. Um, John says that apart from love, apart from love, if anyone says, I love God, and yet hates his brother or sister, he is a liar. For the person who does not love his brother or sister, whom he has seen, cannot love God who he has not seen. I told you all I was convicted this week, right? Like, do you hear that? You say you love one another, or you say you don't love one another, but you love God? The Bible says if you say that, you're a liar. Like, John isn't pulling any punches punches at all. He's saying, listen, listen, if you say you love God, yet you hate your brother or sister, you are a liar. Y'all, that's strong. So then I want to ask you, do you love one another? Do you love one another? Do you love one another so much that the community, that our, our, our area, the people in, in Mound City, uh, I know we got some Oregon folks, Fairfax, Maryville, um, I'm sure I'm missing somebody's, somebody's town, um, Craig, I know we've got some Craig people. Do, does that community look at you and say, wow, wow, something's different? Do they say that? Because our love for one another should be distinguishable from the world. If you flip over to John 15, we'll keep moving. Um, So our love for one another is defined by Jesus. It's distinguishable from the world. And then third, our love for one another is dedicated unto death. Now this this is extreme, but I think the Bible is extreme. Okay, Our love for one another should be dedicated unto death. John chapter 15, if you look at verse 12. Verse 12, Jesus says... This is my command. Love one another as I have loved you. I hope that sounds familiar because we just read it from back in John 13 where he says, I give you a new command. Love one another just as I have loved you. But Jesus does something here. He goes on to emphasize the dedication he has shown to to his love for them. Verse 13, he says, No one has greater love than this, to lay down his life for his friends. To lay down his life for his friends. So what is the greatest love that can be given? Well, Jesus says to lay your life down for your friends. Knowing, Jesus said this, knowing that he was about to do that exact thing. He says, nobody's got a greater love than this, and I'm going to demonstrate it. Like, I'm going to show it. And many of us, myself often included, are unwilling to lay down our own pride, much less our very lives. Like, if you really think about it, Are you willing to lay down your pride? Because you're not going to lay down your life until you can lay down your pride. Jesus says they lay down their lives. I've already confessed that I have not loved you all well. But this is the love that Jesus himself was about to demonstrate. The love that he told us to imitate back in chapter 13. The love that Jesus said would be the defining mark of his body. Would be a love that was so dedicated that it would go even to the point of dying for their friends. We are called to lay down our lives for one another. I actually want to use a wedding passage here. 
you know, we got so many people in the room that are going to get married soon. Like, it's crazy. We got a whole bunch of engaged people in the room. It's awesome. Um, but a wedding passage, Ephesians 5. Y'all are familiar with Ephesians 5. Um, but we get, this, we get this concept in marriage, or at least we think we understand this concept in marriage. But, but this, is a, this is really a description of how much Jesus loves the church, how much he loves his friends. This is a description of this. So Ephesians 5, verse 25, it says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her to make her holy, cleansing her with the washing of, the wa- of water by the word. And if you jump down to verse 32 of Ephesians 5, it says, This mystery is profound, but I am talking about Christ and the church. He's talking about Christ laying down his life for the church because he loved her. Laying down of his life for her. Do you love one another the way Christ loved you? While the concept in Ephesians is directly applied to husbands and wives, yes, it is also clearly commanded that we love one another this much. Love one another to the point of death. Because that's how Jesus loved you. Now here's the thing. There are dozens of things that you could be investing your time, your energy, your heart, your very lives in, and not just on Sunday mornings, but throughout the week. Like there are dozens of things, hundreds of things that you can invest your time and your energy into. All kinds of things. Okay? The question, the question becomes then, what is most important? Am I really loving one Are we really loving one another? Are we really dedicated to one another? And I thought about it like this. If somebody was willing, if somebody was able to take an inside view of my life for one day, for one day, inside view of my life, first of all, y'all should be scared of that. Um, Inside view of my life for one day, would the way that I prayed, the way that I spent my time, the way I talk about my brothers and sisters, would it indicate that I love them? I really, I told you, I was convicted by that. Because if we're being honest, many of us are likely not willing to stop speaking poorly of one another, much less to actually love one another. Right? Like, that's really hard. This is a really high bar that is set here. But Jesus says, love one another as I have loved you. Be willing to lay your life down for your friends because there's no greater love than that. And Jesus says, that's how I'm about to love you. Be willing to lay my life down for you. So, if you were to take a personal inventory of your life, would it reveal that you are dedicated to loving the body? To loving one another? Would it it suggest that? What do your thoughts, your words, your actions say about your love for one another? Our love for one another must be defined by Jesus, distinguishable from the world, dedicated unto death, and forth. Our love for one another must be descriptive of our status descriptive of our status, and I'll explain what I mean by this because um, I warned our guys in the sound booth, I'm going to be a bit of a grammar nerd for just a minute, okay? But this is fun. I tried to explain it to my wife, and she's like, Jared, why does this matter? I hope I show you why this matters here in just a minute, okay? Verse 14. Verse 14 says, you are my friends if you do what I command you. Now, again, I struggled with this verse. This verse. You are my friends if you do what I command you. Because does this mean that being a friend of Jesus is conditional based on my obedience to his commands? That's the way I read it the first time. You're my friend if you do what I command you. So I do what I command you, then I get to be your friend. That's what it sounds like, right? See, that's why I struggled, okay? Um, But the problem with that is that seems to contradict the rest of Scripture, doesn't it? The Bible talks about how we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. The Bible talks about how we are saved by grace through faith, not through works so that no man can boast. 
right? Not works, but this seems to indicate works. So what is it? How do, we, how do we reconcile this? How do we make this work the way that it's supposed to work? Because we know Scripture doesn't contradict itself. God's not going to contradict himself. He's way too smart for that. Okay? So what does this really mean? All right. Well, I had to get some help because, again, I'm not the smartest man in the world. Um, so I had to get some help. And I found a video done by, by a guy named John Piper. Some of you might be familiar with Piper. Um, I, I found some of these videos, and it was really well done. And he, he explained... He explained that there are two different types of ifs. Two different types of ifs. Okay? There's one type of if that, that shows a cause that precedes and brings about the effect. Okay? The cause, it precedes, it's before the effect, and it brings the effect about. That's one kind of if. Uh, I'll, I'll demonstrate this here in just a minute. Okay? Well, let's just do it. If, if I sing, you will cover your ears. Okay, that is that is a cause, the singing that precedes and brings about the effect of you covering your ears. Right. Okay. so that's the way I always think of this. Honestly, even as I'm reading my Bible and I'm marking my Bible up, if I see the word if I underline it, then I look for where the then should fit in in the middle of that sentence. This is the way I understand it. And I actually write then into the Bible. Like you can call me a heretic if you want for adding to God's word, but it really is just trying to clarify it in my own mind. Okay, so I look for how this is working out. What is the effect that's being brought about? But there's a second kind of if. The second kind shows an effect that follows and confirms the cause. The effect that follows and confirms the cause. And I struggled with this one, okay? Actually making this make sense, okay? But let me try this. It rained if the ground is wet. It rained if the ground is wet. Okay, the rain is really the cause, or I'm sorry, yeah, the rain is really the cause, but the ground being wet is the effect, so the effect confirms the cause. It, it's not like I'm saying this in a way that the, yeah, you all get it. Okay, so why does all this matter? Why does all this matter? Okay, well, it would be a salvation by works if our friendship is caused by our obedience, Right? If you are only a friend because you obeyed, that's a salvation by works. And that's not what the Bible teaches. That's not at all what the Bible teaches. And it's certainly not what I'm going to teach here, given all of Scripture. Instead, what the Bible teaches is that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. What I believe Jesus is saying here is that the obedience, do what I command you, follows and confirms the cause. It follows and confirms the cause of friendship. You are a friend, therefore, if you will, therefore, you will obey my commands. It follows and confirms that cross. In other words, since Jesus has declared, you for, declared us friends, we obey him. And that's exactly what the point, what we're pointed to in verse 15. It says, I do not call you servants anymore because a servant doesn't know what his master is doing. I have called you friends because I have made known to you everything I have heard from my father. See, what the Bible shows us throughout all of Scripture is that Jesus has made you a friend the minute you understood the gospel. Understood is, a, is kind of a funny word because I don't think it's an intellectual faith. Um, I think there's an intellectual part to it, but I hope you know what I mean whenever I say understood the gospel. Um, when you first 
acknowledged that you were a sinner and therefore short of God's standard of holiness. When you said, Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God, God in the flesh, and I believe that you died on the cross to pay the price for my sins. And when you said, I believe that you were raised from the dead and that by faith in Jesus, I can somehow obtain that same resurrection. That's when you became a friend of Jesus. When you acknowledge your sinfulness and turn to him in repentance and faith. That's when you became a friend of Jesus. Your obedience follows and confirms that cause. Follows and confirms that cause. This obedience, specifically the love that he just described back in verses 12 and 13, it demonstrates and it describes our status as friends of Jesus. So our love for one another should describe who we are. We're already friends of Jesus, and our love for one another describes that love. So what? Um, Since I've already made my confession, um, I'm going to challenge you all just a little bit. At least I hope I can challenge you a little. Um, I mentioned taking an inventory of your, your own life and asking yourself, what does my life, my actions, my thoughts, my prayers, every part of me, what does my life say about my love for one another? What does my life say about my love for the church? Do I really love my brothers and sisters, or am I just playing at church? That's what I would like to challenge you, to actually think on. Today, this week, I want to challenge you to think on, do I love my brothers and sisters according to the way Jesus loved me? Do I love him the way I've been commanded? Do I love them like I've been commanded to love them? Because Jesus laid down his life. And he says that love for one another is supposed to be the very, the very characteristic that marks my followers. Not Jesus' physical presence here with us. Instead, a, a real and a, a noticeable love for one another. That should be our defining characteristic. So I want to challenge you, is that what marks your life? Is that what marks my life? Is that what marks our church? Do we love one another? Some of y'all, maybe you're not a follower of Jesus. Maybe you're not. And you're thinking, boy, this is an awful lot. And Jared, boy, you sound like you're just not in a very good mood today. (laughs) You're just wrong. I'm very happy. I'm a happy guy. (laughs) If you're not a follower of Jesus, I hope that you see love for one another in this church. Which is funny because I'm not talking about that bubbly, cupid kind of love. I don't think you always have to feel it when you love one another. I think you choose to love one another. I love you all. Like, I could go around the room. I'll, you guys know Russ and Rita Northrop. I'm calling them out. But I love you guys. I sincerely, truly love you. Like, I could go around the room and call out dozens of others. And now you're all looking like, is he going to say my name? Like, Corey and Danielle, like, I just made eye contact with you all. I love you guys. Like, I sincerely love you. I really do. Ah, thank you. Corey, Corey's thinking. I love you, Corey. I love you guys, and I hope that you want to grow in a love for one another. I, I hope you want to grow in a love for one another, because that's what should mark us as a church. Look, I, I think about it like this, y'all. I, I know I talk about my family too much, not just my family here, but my, my brothers and I. I love my brothers, and there are times I want to hit my brothers. But I love my brothers, and I would give my life for my brothers. Do you love one another that much? Even when, they, even when they frustrate you to no end, 
Do you love them so much that you would give yourself up for them, that you would lay down your pride for them, that you would give your life for them? Because that's what Jesus says we're supposed to do. That's what Jesus says is supposed to characterize who we are as a church. Does that mark us? I hope we can grow in that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I I pray now. um, I want to pray a prayer of thanks. God, I just want to say thank you. Lord, because honestly, on our own, on my own, I don't know how to love. Um, Lord, I, I don't know that I'm able to love. Father, I remember back, I know that I was young whenever I, I came to faith, Lord, but I, I remember, I remember when I was, I was 12 years old and I thought I knew what love was. And I thought, I thought I knew how to love those around me, whether it was family or friends. I thought I knew how to love God, but you showed us how to love. Father, and it was far different from what I thought love was supposed to look like. Um, Lord, so today, I thank you. I thank you for showing us real love, true love, sacrificial love, a love that knows no ends. Lord, as we as we think about a love for one another, I pray that we would realize it's inspired by the greatest love that was ever, ever displayed. As you, you, God, you humbled yourself, you took on flesh, you came and you died in our place. Even though not only were we not deserving, but if we were all being honest, we didn't even know we wanted it. Lord, so I thank you and I praise you for loving us. And I pray that you would help that love to grow in us in such a way that we love one another and we love one another well. I pray that we would love each other the way that 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 little girl loves her dad. Lord, thank you for loving us. I pray that we would grow in that love for one another. I pray that you would help us and guide us. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.